Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. We've been in a sermon series looking at the Gospel of Mark, and today we are going to look at the first part of chapter 7, and you can find this printed in your bulletin. We're going to be looking at Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll get into it. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, starting in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless their hands, they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we just sang, uh, we do want all the glory to go to you. And I simply pray that now as we look at this part of your word together, that you'd help us to see your glory, the glory that you uh, invite us into, uh, to behold 
and to be transformed by it. So we pray that that's what you do now um, for your glory and our good, we ask in your name. Amen. So two or three weeks ago, our family, all five of us, were sitting together at the dinner table, having a nice dinner. We were eating spaghetti, which, you know, requires some skill to be able to eat it well. You've got to know how to twist the noodles around your fork to be able to bring it up to your mouth so you can take a bite. So there's a little bit of a learning curve there. So Banks, our two-and-a-half-year-old son, asked me if he could come and sit in my lap so I could help him eat his spaghetti. And so he came up. He got situated in my lap. We got a bite ready. I brought it up to him. He opened his mouth. It went in. But then probably because I removed the fork too quickly before he could bite down, the piece of meat covered in marinara sauce began to fall. And almost as if it were in slow motion, it continued to fall and fall and fall until it landed right on the top of my brand new gray and white Nike shoes that I had just gotten for Christmas. It was one of those moments, painful moments, that inevitably happens to you when you get something new that you're excited about. Maybe it is a pair of shoes, a new shirt, a new car, a piece of furniture, a new phone or device. But one of those moments when something happens and all of a sudden this item that was perfect now has an imperfection. A tear, a smudge, a chip, a scratch, a stain. And you don't throw it away, you continue to use it or wear it, but every time you look at it, at least for a while, it seems like all you can see is the stain, is the imperfection, reminding you it's, it's not quite what it was meant to be. Well, if you know what I'm talking about, and if you can envision the pain of that for yourself when this has happened to you, I wonder if part of the pain you and I experience in these moments is because it hits a little too close to home. See, because God's word tells us that you and me were made by God to be holy, to be spotless, to live in perfect relationship with him, with ourselves, with one another, in a perfect world. However, sin has come into the world and we could say it's fallen on us, like the marinara sauce-covered piece of meat, and it's created a stain. And we live out of that and then we go and we create more stains so that similarly many days it seems like every time we look at ourselves, that's all we can see. How we've been stained. The parts of us that are messed up and broken and imperfect. For me, I know usually all it takes is a moment or two alone with my thoughts. And a lot of the ways that I feel stained can come to mind. And Jesus never tells us this, this shouldn't happen. He doesn't give us some positive psychology and say, no, you don't actually have a stain to worry about. No, he affirms that it's real, but he tells us, I know what you can do with it. And that's what our passage today is about this morning. It's about what do you do with the stain? What you and I do to address, to deal with the stains we have, and that's what all the, the defiled language is that you see here in this passage. The word defiled shows up seven times in these 23 verses, and this is what it's talking about. It's not talking about our hygiene. It's talking about us being defiled or unclean before God. It's talking about our sense of unworthiness before him. And here in our passage, Jesus shows us there are basically two ways 
you can deal with this. Two ways you can try to address it. You can try to address it from the outside in, or you can try to deal with it from the inside out. And so this morning, we're going to look at these two ways. One way that Jesus harshly rebukes, but then another way that even through his rebuke, Jesus graciously invites us into. And so we're going to look at those two points, outside in and inside out. So first, outside in. This is the first way we see that we try to deal with our stain, this sense of uncleanness, unworthiness we have before God. And we see it with the religious leaders and and what's going on with them at the beginning of our story. So again, picking up in verse 1, here's what we read. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, they ask Jesus, why... Do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So what, what's happening here? The Pharisees and scribes, they are the religious elites of the day, and the ones here come from Jerusalem, the big city, the center of the Jewish religion. So they carry more weight and authority, and they've likely come from Jerusalem to do some spying on Jesus, some investigating of this man who's exploding in popularity, and so they come to check him out, and right away they're not disappointed because they see something they don't like. Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. And as I said, this is not about hygiene. This is not the kind of concern parents have for their small children, maybe that uh, some wives can have for their husbands. Uh, Just say that theoretically, just in case that dynamic exists for somebody here today. But they're not concerned with them getting sick or or picking up the stomach bug that's been going around. What what are they so worked up about? That that the disciples aren't staying in line with their cleanliness laws. Laws that were about them being ceremonially clean as opposed to being ceremonially unclean or defiled. And, And this is something God's word had a lot to say about. After God delivered his people from Egypt in the Exodus and established them as the nation of Israel, he gave them all kinds of these sort of rules and regulations that focused on them being clean. And and you see some of these, if you read near the end of the book of Exodus, it's the main thing the book of Leviticus is about. And there were some regulations about washing your hands. The priests, for example, were supposed to wash their hands every time before they went into the tabernacle to, to go before God, to represent the people to him, but nowhere did it say you had to wash your hands every time before you eat, much less that you had to take a bath every time after you went to the marketplace or that you had to wash all your eating utensils like Mark says they were doing. See, these cleanliness laws they had, they were external. They were actions and tasks, things you had to do on the outside, but God always intended them to be more than that. They were always supposed to point to a deeper problem, but over time, God's people had taken these laws that were meant to point to a deeper reality and they had made them almost exclusively external. 
they focused on the outside, on doing more, on creating. They created more and more of these things. You can think about the Sabbath laws. If you remember us talking about those in the fall when we looked at the Pharisees and the scribes uh, getting upset with Jesus and what his disciples were doing uh, around that. With the, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, God said, every seven days I want you to rest, to take a day off from your normal work, to worship and to be refreshed by me. But they took this and they said, well, we need to know exactly how to do that. We need to know exactly what that looks like so we can know if we're doing it right. And so they made up all these other kinds of laws that, that God never made up and, and really built out like what, act, what, what kind of work you're not able to do. They even legislated it to the point of how many steps you're able to take. It was all about the outside. And why? Because it was something they could manage. It was something they could control. A friend of mine shared a social media post with me recently that said after turning 35, every man basically has a decision. Are you gonna get really into World War II history or really into smoking different kinds of meats? And uh, (laughs) I love that. I'm not sure if I buy it or if I'm really gonna go into one of those two camps, but I have been in a mini World War II orbit lately. So that's kind of the direction <laughs> I'm headed if this is true. But this, all this makes me, I say that because all this makes me think about something I, I read recently about Germany's preparation for the Olympics in 1936 when they hosted them in Berlin. And this was several years before everything would, would blow up, literally. Um, but the pieces were already there in place. Most of the world just didn't know it yet. And Hitler and his team wanted to keep it that way. And so as they got ready to host all these athletes and visitors from all over the world, they they did a really serious cleanup job. And it started by removing all the signs, prohibiting Jewish people from entering public places. They got rid of their uh, radically anti-Semitic publication. And then here's what I read, a description about what they did. Quote, along the railroad tracks on which the visitors would travel into Berlin, grimy buildings had been whitewashed. Vacant apartment buildings had been rented out inexpensively. And identical window boxes full of red geraniums had been placed beneath window sills of even the apartments that remained vacant. The streets had been swept and reset, shop windows polished, trains freshly painted, broken windows replaced, dozens of new courtesy Mercedes limousines had been parked in neat rows outside the Olympic Stadium, awaiting VIPs. Nearly everyone from taxi drivers to sanitation workers had been outfitted in some kind of smart new uniform. Foreign books, banned books, books that had escaped the bonfires of 1933 suddenly reappeared in bookshop windows. The goal was to clean everything up so at least from the outside, visitors from all over the world would see a Germany that, in the words of their minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, was, quote, more charming than the Parisians, more easygoing than the Viennese, more vivacious than the Romans, more cosmopolitan than London, and more practical than New York. And they did. It worked. People came away really impressed by what they saw and experienced, by what the nation seemed to be. And now obviously there was an incredible evil, sinister motive behind all that. And that's what's not at all what's going on in our passage. These, these were people who by and large were dedicated to God, who wanted to pursue holiness and wanted to be clean before him. 
but it is a really good picture of how it's so much easier to focus on the outside and deal with that instead of what's really going on beneath it. And this is why you and I all naturally drift this way too, because the outside is something we can manage. It's something we can control, even if it takes a lot of discipline and willpower, surely like it did for for this group of people to keep all these laws and to, to do all these washings, but you could still do it. It still gives you something you can do and point to when you do have those moments where you're alone with your thoughts. And for us, it's not hand washing, but it's all kinds of other things. It can be reading the Bible through in a year, spending a certain amount of time in prayer every day, journaling on a regular basis, joining the church, getting into a community group, finding the right group of Christian friends. Uh, In our little subculture here at Hope, it can be going to counseling, learning more about your story, becoming more emotionally mature and self-aware, reading Tim Keller or Gentle and Lowly, right? Really getting the gospel, becoming vulnerable. Those are all awesome things. I love, I love all those things. And all of them should lead you beyond the outside to what's beneath that. But so often, and I know it's true for me, they can still become primarily external ways of you and I pouring soap and water and maybe even in some cases, OxyClean onto the stain. And it can be almost anything. It can can be something well beyond the scope of, of what you think of as religious or Christian activity. But whatever it is, you and I, we need to know what these things are for us. And that'd be a, a really good homework question to ask today. What does this look like for me? How do I do this? What do I use? And what am I using to try and clean myself up before God? And we need to know because Jesus... He has some really serious words for people who live this way. Look at how he responds to them after this question. In verse 6, he says to them, he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And the word Jesus uses for hypocrites is a word that comes from the world of theater, And in theater at the time, instead of wearing makeup, actors would wear masks as they played different characters. And so Jesus says, when you live this way, it's like like you're an actor. It's like you're wearing a mask. It's like you're pretending. Because what you're doing on the outside, it can't get to the inside, no matter how hard you're working at it. And he goes on to explain how this outside-in approach has played out for the Pharisees and the scribes in verses 7 through 13 and how it's caused them to miss the point of God's word and and even caused them and others to break the fifth commandment through their emphasis on uh, something called Corbin, which was essentially a way to avoid supporting your parents financially when they need it by setting aside a certain amount of your money and saying, I'm going to dedicate this to God when I die. The point is the outside-in approach doesn't work. This is the kind of fruit it produces. People who pretend, people who act, people who wear masks, people who may honor God with their lips, but their actual hearts are far from him. This is really chilling for me to think about because is this not so often the church? And so we need to pay close attention to the rest of this passage. 
as we see Jesus invite us into another way, a, a different and better way of dealing with the stain, a way that moves not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so after his initial conflict and confrontation with these guys, Jesus sees the opportunity to teach everyone here an important lesson. So he calls everyone to him and tells them why the outside-in approach doesn't work. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. Here's what he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So he begins by saying it doesn't work because the problem isn't what's outside of you. It's not, it's not what's out there, it's what goes into you. But then he gets more specific as, as everyone leaves and the disciples ask him to explain more about what he just said. And so he keeps going and in verse 18 he says to them, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since, here's why, it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, and here's the heart of it, what comes out of a person is what defile him for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So Jesus says, outside in doesn't work because the problem isn't outside of you. But to an even greater degree, outside in doesn't work because the problem is within you. The problem is your heart. Uh, do you remember the office episode when Stanley uh, comes back to the office after having a heart attack and Michael's really concerned about creating a, a stress-free environment. And so he does all these goofy things. He has people sit on the floor, do breathing exercises. He's making this huge effort. And Stanley has a monitor that he's wearing that beeps that tells him when, he's, when his stress levels are increasing. And during one of the exercises, Michael walks over to Stanley and it slowly begins to beep. And so he gets confused, he's concerned about it. Then he bends down and it starts beeping really fast. And Stanley says, back away, back away. And he start, as he starts to back away, it directly corresponds with the number of beeps that are going on. And then Oscar takes it from him, who's beside Stanley, puts it on, and the same thing happens. And so then Kevin eventually says, Michael, I think you're what's stressing everybody out. There's a famous line at least contributed to G.K. Chesterton that when the newspaper asked people to write in and say, what's wrong with the world? Can you give us your opinion? He wrote in and said, dear sir, I am. See, both those things, Jesus is trying to teach us something similar. Outside in doesn't work because the problem isn't out there. It's not our environment, it's not our circumstances, but it, it's us, it's our own heart. Our own heart that's been stained and defiled by sin and that's where all the other stuff comes from. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's driving us to the, the crucial and first step in the gospel. 
the crucial and first step in having a relationship with God, a relationship where you don't only honor him with your lips, but your heart is close to him as well. And that first step is to see your desperation, to see your inability, to see that you can't clean yourself up. You can't get rid of the stain no matter how hard you're trying. It's to see you need someone else to do it for you. It's called to repent, to turn around, to turn away from living a life of self-salvation, to quit playing the game of trying to be good enough for God or trying to prove to yourself and others around you that you are good enough for him. The first step is to say, Lord, I am unclean and there's nothing I can do about it. But then this step leads us to another step. And what is that? To believe. To believe in what? To believe in who? Well, in the one who came to cleanse you. And Jesus doesn't take us all the way there in this story, but in just one chapter, he's gonna make the turn towards Jerusalem. The very city the scribes and the Pharisees have come from. And he tells his disciples, I'm going there because I'm gonna die because I'm gonna suffer, because I'm gonna be rejected, because ultimately I'm going to be crucified. And in the Old Testament sacrificial system, when animals were sacrificed and their blood was used by the priest to make the people clean or holy by forgiving their sins, their bodies were taken and burned outside the camp. The place that represented ceremonial uncleanness. Well, Hebrews 13 tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. But it wasn't representative blood like the animals. As the blood of the Son of God, it was blood that has the power to do everything necessary to cleanse us to make us clean, to remove the stain. I love the way Paul says it in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, and I love this, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, blameless, above reproach, spotless, the stain is gone because Jesus takes it. The way of the Christian life isn't outside in, it's inside out. It's seeing we have an inside problem and so we need an inside solution. We need Jesus to come in and cleanse us. We need him to give us a new heart. What David prayed in our call to worship, create in me, a clean heart, O oh God. The good news of the gospel is that that's what Jesus came to do. We just have to ask him to do it. And so what does this mean practically? Well, it means everything about the way you and I follow Jesus individually and as a community. I mentioned the church can look so much like the outside-in approach. We all show up and do what we're supposed to do. We look nice. We, we've got it all together. But believing this and going this direction is so different because it means taking off our masks. 
It means we stop pretending. It means we, we don't have to put on our best face when we're a disaster inside. When we do something we shouldn't have done last night, we don't just resolve to read our Bible for an hour this afternoon, though that's obviously not a bad thing. But we tell somebody. We come to Jesus with our brokenness. And we bring it to his people too, people who know us and love us, who take off their masks and let us inside with what's going on with them as well. And this is so much of, of what uh, the vision of our church, what we want to be about. This is, it's in our tagline, real people who look to the real Jesus for real change. This is who we want to be a group of people who does this together, who, who don't come together to play church and, and do this as a hobby, but who, who actually are real people who are looking to the real Jesus together for real change. And as Dr. Larry Crabb says, change, as our Lord describes, it involves more than cleaning up our visible act. He intends us to do more than sweep the streets. He wants us to climb down into the sewers and do something about the filth beneath the concrete. Christ wants us to face reality as it is, including all the fears, hurts, resentments, and self-protective motives we work hard to keep out of sight and emerge as changed people, not pretenders, not perfect, but more able to deeply love because we've been made more aware of his love. Listen, I've been here for almost 10 years trying to do this, it's not easy, it's really hard. I go back all the time to wanting to live this outside in type of way, but, but in fighting to go this way with the help of the Holy Spirit, with so many of you in our community along the way, it's where I've experienced some of this real change in my heart. And it's where I wanna continue to experience it because this is where Jesus is. It's where he meets us, in the stain, in the filth, beneath the concrete. That's where he shows up, and that's where he wants to go to work and transform us, you and I, into the men and women he's created and called us to be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't come to show us how to clean ourselves up before God, but you came to get dirty so that you could make us clean. We pray that you would give us the faith to believe that and the courage to live this kind of inside out way where we do face together the broken and, and dark parts of our heart, um, knowing that uh, you're aware and uh, you love us anyway, and you came to heal us in those areas. And so we pray that you would uh, bring that kind of healing into us uh, personally, and would you make us more and more uh, the kind of community that lives this way together. We ask in your name, amen.